Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the reading of the word. Go ahead and take a seat. Hello and welcome. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. My name is Jason. I am the staff pastor here at Grace Downtown. And we are so glad you are here with us tonight. As you see on the screen, we're continuing our series called Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus. And the idea, the big idea for this series is that life has lots of questions and that those questions can be answered with a true encounter with Jesus. And as we open up the scriptures, what we are seeing is historical accounts, true accounts of men and women that had an encounter with God in the flesh, this man named Jesus. Tonight, our hope and our prayer for you is not only that you would learn about these folks' encounter with Jesus, but that you would have an encounter with Jesus yourself. Tonight, we see Jesus' encounter with his own family. What was your family of origin like? The family that you grew up in? What are the things that you explicitly were taught? What are the things that you implicitly learned just by being in the family? What was the the tone, the undercurrent that was taking place in your home that maybe you weren't even aware of at the time? The holidays are coming up. It makes us think about the traditions that we had as a family. What traditions were a part of your family around the holiday season? No matter what family we come from, it's a mixed bag of some things that point us to God and some things that maybe don't point us to God. But ultimately, we're going to, going to take a look at the question tonight of where we truly belong. We're going to try to answer the question, where do I belong? Because the fact of the matter is we all want to belong to something. Even a countercultural movement becomes a culture of its own. Even an anti-establishment movement becomes an established movement. We look for belonging in so many places. We look for identity, you could say, in so many places. Our prayer and our belief tonight is that you can really only find this sense of belonging in the family of God. Would you pray with me as we get started tonight? Father, we look to you. God, we thank you that you have not been silent, but you have spoken through your word and through your spirit and through your people. And God, we want to hear from you now. God, I pray that you would speak to each one here. God, you know their stories. You know their name. You know what family they come from. God, you know where we have looked for belonging and identity in the wrong places. God, you know each one, and I pray, I would desire that you would speak to each one. And God, I believe that's your desire tonight, to speak to each one here. God, I pray that you would take my humble words and use them for something greater. God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you haven't already, you can turn with me to Matthew 12, where we see this passage. We'll review it here for a moment, and then 
make some application. In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Jesus, as he does so many times, is teaching the people. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about the commands of God. He is talking, teaching about the new commands that he is giving. He is teaching the people about a lot of different things. And someone comes to him and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He has a family. And someone comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your family wants to speak with you. Your family is waiting for you. And Jesus points to the disciples, points to his followers, points to those he is teaching that are not biologically related to him and says, this is my family. This is my mother. This is my brother. These are my sisters. This is my family. And he makes his own family wait. When I first ran across this passage and a book called Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this one concept was the one that tripped me up the most. I grew up in the church and I grew up hearing how important the biological family is. And this seemed like Jesus, God in the flesh, was being disrespectful to his mother and to his brothers. It doesn't seem like something that Jesus would do. So before we can move forward, where we're headed tonight is looking at what the family of God is. But before we can do that, we need to answer this question, what is Jesus saying here? Well, three quick things that I believe Jesus is talking about in this passage. First, Jesus is not demeaning the biological family. And how do we know that's true? Well, from the whole testimony of Scripture. In three chapters later in Matthew 15, Jesus actually quotes Isaiah and utters the words that we've probably heard before. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He is speaking of the Pharisees who not only told the, taught the people God's law, but they added to God's law and added more laws for the people to live out and obey. And Jesus says that the Pharisees are teaching people to follow the law even when it causes them to not honor their father and their mother. And Jesus tells them, not only are your lips honoring me, but your hearts are far from me. He says, you should even set aside the law because there's a greater law of God that says honor your father and mother. So honoring father and mother and family is something that Jesus takes seriously. We even see Jesus, one of his last instructions to his disciples is from the cross as he's going to his death. And he tells the disciples to take care of his mother as he's going to his death. So we can see that the biological family is important to Jesus. So he is not demeaning the biological family. The second thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage is the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. A few chapters later in Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying a number of things here. One, he is saying that in order to follow him, we will have to set aside our preconceived notions of what true life really is, what true belonging really is, what is most important. We may have to lose that in order to find true life. We look for our sense of belonging, our sense of identity in all kinds of places, and Jesus says you may have to leave that behind to understand the call to discipleship, and the new family that I am building. Jesus is also saying, I have a better and more perfect family that I have prepared for you. And lastly, he is telling us just 
rubber meets the road that some of you, it will cost you your family in order to follow Jesus. And all over the world, right here and throughout history, there have been people that literally have to leave their family of origin behind in order to follow Jesus. Either that's what it takes to obey him or they are put out of their family of origin because they claim the name of Jesus. Some have left father and mother. Some have left the city, the town, the country, the continent that they are from in order to follow Jesus. Here Jesus is talking about the reality of the cost of discipleship. But he is also telling us that when we put those things aside, he has true life in store for us. And that's the third thing. Jesus is making a new family. Jesus is forming a new family with a stronger tie than biology or blood or the house we grew up in could ever give us. What Jesus is saying here, that if you are in Christ, if his spirit lives inside of you, if your sins have been paid for by Jesus' finished work on the cross, you have more in common with the people in this room that can claim the same than your very family. Jesus is saying, I am making a new family that has deeper bonds, deeper roots than any biological family could. It's a perfect family because of what I am going to do for them. So that is by way of introduction. Before we can talk about what the family of God looks like, we need to answer the question, why do we need a new family? Why do we need a new family? A few things. First, our individualistic culture. We live in a modern, individualistic culture where our world, our culture, our technology, our lives, our diet, our church experience, so much is customized to our preferences. The way we want things to be, our lives have never been more customizable. If you have a a newer car than me, I've seen this in rental cars where you can change the temperature on your side and the person sitting next to you can change the temperature on their side. If you're married, you know this is very important. You can customize your life. I have an iPhone like a billion other humans, but I can customize it to be exactly what I want it to be. We can customize our lives and we can build a life based on our preferences. But this has a negative effect. It causes us to continue to live in such a way that we just make decisions based on what's good for us. It doesn't matter what God wants. It doesn't matter what others need. We continue to build a life that revolves around us. The effects of this are described very well by Paul Tripp. Author Paul Tripp says that sin shrinks the world down to our own man-made kingdoms with tight walls around us where no one else can get in. Some of you may think, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want, actually, is tight walls around me and no one else can get in and I'm perfectly protected. But a couple of problems with that kind of life. First and most importantly, God can't get in. If we have built walls around our life, when Jesus says go, we say that it doesn't really fit in my agenda. When Jesus says this is what the kingdom looks like, we say, but that's not what my kingdom looks like. When Jesus says leave father and mother, leave this behind, leave sin behind, leave this relationship behind, leave this opportunity behind in order to follow me, we say that doesn't fit what makes me comfortable. 
And then secondly, of course, this shuts others out as well. Where we don't think we need anything, we don't think we need anybody, and then others can't get into our life as well. In contrast, Ephesians 4 tells us what this should look like for the believer in Christ. Ephesians 4 says that some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are coming together around the name of Jesus, and they are growing up into the fullness of who Christ is. And as they do so, three things take place. Their theology gets stronger, their community goes deeper, and they have more a view of the kingdom of God. Throughout scripture, we see people being individually saved by Jesus, but immediately put into the family of God. And the family of God looks like the kingdom of God, and they are about the king, the father's business. Advancing the kingdom of God, making this world look more like the kingdom of God. So why do we need a new family? We live in an individualistic culture. Secondly, why do we need a new family? Because of our earthly family. The holidays are coming up. That means lots and lots and lots of time with family. There's good parts to that, but there are also difficult parts to that. And for some of us, maybe we haven't seen our extended family for a couple of years due to the pandemic, so it's going to be like wet, cold water in our face. Seeing family, again, some of you are like, oh man, you don't even know. We go and we we see family, whether it's our immediate family, our extended family, whether it's cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody. The more people you start adding in, the more extra grace required people that you run into, right? And you know the old adage, if you don't know who the extra grace required person is in your family, it's you, Right? We go and we see that cousin we haven't seen in years and we just, we don't feel like we don't even know them. We've got that uncle that insists on talking about religion and politics at the dinner table. It's just a mess. I don't know what your family of origin was like, but no matter what family you come from or what the faith culture was, what the tone of your home was, all of our families have things that point us more towards Jesus and the kingdom of God and things that make a view of the kingdom of God harder. For some of us, maybe we even have missing pieces of our family or don't even know our biological family. Some of us may have lived in multiple different families as we were growing up. It's on a spectrum, but all of us have experienced hurt within family, joys within family, things that set us up well in our family, things that make the concept of a heavenly father difficult. There are some people that hear about a heavenly father that loves them and they just check out immediately because they say, nope, I've tried the father thing and it didn't work out. Our family of origin is a mixed bag of things that can show us the heart of God, but can also make it hard for us to believe in the sacrificial love of a heavenly father and a savior. So due to our earthly family, we need a new definition of family. And lastly, we need a new family because we need a real place to belong. We need a real place to belong. 
We have tried to belong and we have tried to find our identity in all kinds of things, but none of them can bear the weight of giving us our ultimate identity and sense of belonging. We have tried it in the way we have voted. We have tried it in our sexuality. We have tried it in our preferences. We have tried it in so many things and nothing can bear the weight of giving us our identity. We do not find the sense of belonging that we are looking for in man-made things, in created things, even good things, things that God has given us that are good gifts like marriage and kids and a career and an education and family. These are good gifts that God has given us, but they cannot hold the weight of all of our identity. They're a foundation built on sand that as soon as the storms of life come, they just float away. We need a real sense of belonging. We need what Jesus describes in Matthew 16 when he says, we need to lose our life for his sake so that we can find true life. We need to find where we can find this sense of belonging and identity that can hold under that weight. So what does this family look like? Who is the new family that we need and that Jesus offers? First, those redeemed by Jesus. The family of God is made up of those redeemed by Jesus. Not people that meet in the same room at the same time every Sunday night. Not people who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Not people that say that they are believers. But those redeemed by Jesus. Tim Keller calls the gospel and the gospel community the most exclusive, inclusive group in the world. What he means by that is that it's exclusive, meaning you can only get in through the means of Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf, but everyone can get in on this. Those redeemed by Jesus. Jesus buys your table, buys your seat at the table at the family of God. Jesus pays your way. Jesus is the one who redeems us and gives us this new family. Who is in this new family? Number two, his disciples. His disciples are in this family. Matthew 19, it's up on the screen, 27 through 30. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Thank the Lord for Peter who just asks what we're all thinking anyway. What's in it for us, Jesus? You said to cast aside everything and leave our family and leave our town and leave our career in order to follow you. What's in it for us? Jesus' answer in verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The family of God is made up of those that are truly following Jesus, that have counted the cost and left everything else behind the world's definition of success, the world's definition of life, possibly even father and mother in order to follow Jesus. Once again, this is a far cry from just everyone meeting in the same building once a week. This is those who have said, I am about God's kingdom 
purposes. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am going to live my life in Christ. And in order to be his disciple, number three, the family of God is made up of those who obey God. Who does he say are his brother and sister and mother? Matthew twelve fifty, our verse from tonight, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. A parallel account in Luke eight twenty one, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is reminding us that his disciples do what he says because they have a new allegiance. They have a new king. They have given their lives to him and now he calls the shots. We obey God. We do the will of the Father as Jesus' disciples. So what is the family of God? It's people redeemed by Jesus who obey God together. That's what the family of God looks like. It's those who know the will of the Father and do the will of the Father. And when they fail to do so, they have the redemption and the forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus credited to them as righteousness. This is what the family of God looks like. And ultimately, what is the picture that we see in God's word of this family? It's the letters of the New Testament. The letters of the New Testament. The New Testament is made up of the first four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us the story of Jesus' life, ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Then we have the Acts of the Holy Spirit, where we see the Holy Spirit fall on the church. And as the Spirit falls on the church, he sends people out to make disciples of all nations, and churches are planted all over the known world. And then pastors, disciples, apostles, even Jesus' brothers write letters to those church plants to tell them what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be his good news people. So as we read the New Testament, as we study Philippians this winter as a church, which is going to start the day after Christmas, we are going to dive deep into what does it look like to be the family of God together? What does it look like to have our true identity found in Jesus? And what does it look like when a bunch of people do that together? I could have picked many examples, but I chose one from Ephesians. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 to see what the family of God looks like in action. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul reading, writing to the church in Ephesus. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Doesn't that sound great? Imagine your Thanksgiving family table if it was characterized like this. Imagine your household if it was characterized by these qualities. Imagine your community group. Imagine this church. Imagine our world if someone looked from the outside and saw humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Imagine 
if the outside world looked in at the church and saw that. Instead of Christians fighting about politics on Facebook. So how are we going to do it? Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We can display these fruits of the Spirit of God when we recognize that we are one because of what Christ has done. We are baptized into one family, not because we all look the same or speak the same language or vote the same way or talk the same way or dress the same way or have the same socioeconomic status. We are baptized into one church with Jesus as the head. This is what the family of God looks like. And the spirit of the living God is in all, doing a work in and through each one of us. Before we conclude the sermon, I have one more point, but I want to take a pause here and talk to you, Grace Downtown. Um, I preached this morning in North Liberty. I did not do this little aside. This is just your pastor speaking with you, just kind of a pastoral word. As we talk about family, as we talk about biological family, as we talk about spiritual family, this is an application of this text that I think is important for specifically us here at Grace Downtown. 50% of Grace Downtown is married and 50% is not. There's a few things that I want to say in light of that. The first one is that if you are single in this church and in the family of God, this family is not the same without you. This family is not the same without you. You're a picture of the kingdom come. You're a picture of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. You are a picture that the spiritual bonds of God's family are more powerful than blood. You also have energy when I drop my kids off at Sunday school, and I appreciate it. If you haven't noticed, parents drop off their kids on Sunday night a little done and a little tired. And it's wonderful to drop them off with someone that might have a shred of energy left. If you are a regular attender here at Grace Downtown and you are married, your marriage is to be a beautiful picture of God's love for his bride and you have something to offer this church family. Single, married, beautiful pictures of the kingdom and it's amazing what can happen when we live in fellowship together? One last thing I would say, though, is that we cannot let the hurt from our past, whatever we have experienced in our biological family, keep us from praying that God would do whatever he wills in our life in the future. I fear that far too many people are hesitant to even seek out the idea of a family because they come from the same culture that I grew up in where it's a 50% divorce rate. So half of us don't have our folks still married. And a lot of times we can be hesitant to even like, I don't even want to go there because I saw what it can do to people. 
that is also something that may be holding us back from what God may want to do in our lives as well. So don't let your brokenness, don't let your hurt keep you from whatever God has for you, single or married. Back to the sermon. Number five, who is this new family? In this new family, Christ is the head. Jesus is the leader of the family of God. Jesus, according to Romans 8, is the older brother of those who have been justified in Christ. From our father and mother, from our ancestors, whether we go back one generation or 100, we have inherited a body of flesh, a body of sin, a body of death, ultimately. But with Jesus as the head of our family, with Jesus as our older brother, we have an amazing inheritance. Because Jesus died in our place. He took all of our sin and he gave us all of his righteousness. And that's a really good inheritance. And Romans 8 tells us because we are justified and because Jesus was justified, we will be sanctified. And just as he sits in glory, we will sit in glory. Because he is the head of our family. No longer is our earthly father determinative of our life, but our heavenly father is because of what Jesus has done for you. So you are welcome at the table of the family of God, not because of anything you have to offer, but because of what Jesus has done for you. I want to ask you to consider joining the family of God. Maybe you have been here before, maybe you haven't. Maybe you have considered Christianity before, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been a church attender, maybe you've read your Bible a few times, maybe you've thought you were a Christian at some point, but right here, right now, you're just not sure. I want to invite you to join the family of God. I'm not asking you to become a member of this church. That might be an outflow. That might be a down the road thing. But I'm asking right now for you to consider belonging to the family of God. And just as I said earlier, anybody can get in. Don't wait to clean up your act. Don't wait until you've all got it figured out. Don't wait until you stop sinning because you're not. Jesus is our older brother. Jesus is the one that gives us an inheritance. Jesus is the one that bought our seat at the table. So come to him. Come and belong to something where you can find true belonging, true identity, something that is deeper than blood. Come join the family of God. We are a mess, but we have a great savior. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that there would be some here tonight that take you up on your invitation to join your family and find a true sense of belonging and find their true identity in what Christ has done for them. God, if we are already in the family of God, God, I pray that we would act like the family of God 
in the way we treat one another and way we love the world outside ourselves, outside of these walls. God, I, pr- I pray that we would feel our sense of belonging and we would remember the good news of the gospel that we would believe it and extend it to others. I pray that we would provide a sense of belonging and a sense of care to those in our life, family, not family, in the church, not in the church. I pray that we would be a picture of the kingdom as we love one another for Jesus' sake.